Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So I entitled this, The Son of Man Came Not to Be Served, But to Serve. Actually, the key verse to this book, and the key verse to every Christian's life is that we are not to be served, but to serve. We'll look at it in three parts. The Son of Man will be delivered in verses 32 through 34. We'll look at uh, the seeking position in verses 35 through 40. And then verses 41 through 45, the Son of Man came to serve. So one of the things that we know is in our culture today, everybody wants to, to be seen. And honestly, what Jesus is talking about in these verses is godly leadership. And godly leadership is you being last. You being a servant. In our culture today, that's not what they teach kids. Everybody wants to lead, but nobody wants to be led. The only way you learn to lead is by being led. And yet we we see a culture that doesn't want to do that. We see people being put into positions they're not prepared for. Whether it's in churches, whether it's in businesses, whether it's in government. It's evident. You can say, you know, I, I have no clue what's going to happen. That person has no clue what they're doing. And yet, when we look at these verses, we need to look at them not through a worldview of leadership. Because let me tell you, the church has plenty of books on this stuff too. And and honestly, we don't need them. We have God's Word. Tells us that we are to be last. That we are to serve. We look at it through a biblical perspective. Remember as we talked about, as we look at life, we, we want you to take it through the Word of God. That's how you live your life. You look at God's word and you look at the world. And what comes in from the world, you can filter it through God's word. That's not godly. I ain't ain't messing with that. You know, it it helps you to lead your family. It helps you to, 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 to pastor your home. Yet we see these, these direct links as Jesus is talking about leadership. He's going to be talking about the crucifixion again. But this time, he's going to give much more information. So let's dive into it in in, in, uh, verse 32 as we look at the Son of Man will be delivered. And it says, "As As they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen. So one of the things we know is they're actually coming from the south. They're coming from the Jordan River Valley. But they're coming from the south, but they're going up to Jerusalem. And whenever you see it in Scripture, you always go up to Jerusalem. That is the epicenter of this world. It is the nation. 
It is the, God's people, Israel, and that's where everything is going to go down. When we look at end times, we look at, at, at what's going to happen in the book of Revelations, Jer Jerusalem will be at the epicenter. And, and, and Jesus is going up. Now, Jesus is going up, but there's something that's very important that you see in that scripture is it says that he was walking ahead of them. Every other time that we've seen this in the book of Mark, he's been walking alongside of them. He's been walking alongside of the disciples. This time, Jesus has taken the lead. He has a purpose. He knows that he's going to the cross, that he's going to die. He's, he's heading to the crucifixion. He's heading to suffering. And this would have surprised the disciples as they saw him take the lead. In Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Our face, our, our, our like flint, should be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're not totally in vain. They're following Jesus. Jesus is on a mission. He's as as he takes the lead, but they're afraid. The crowd is afraid because they know that he's walking into the lion's den. They know that the uh, the the chiefs, priests, and the scribes and the Pharisees have want to kill him, and are plotting to kill him, and yet he's walking into Jerusalem. He knows there's opposition there. They know there's opposition there. I love what Thomas says in John 11, verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Now, as a military person, I'm like, hey, let's go. That's what we're called to do. It's easy for me to look at that and say, all right. Now, I know we have military guys that are in here. And for us, it's just like, yeah, let's do that. But the crowd was afraid. The crowd was like, wait a minute. They're going in. Where is he going? He's going to where? To Jerusalem? They're going to kill him. And we're following him. That's why they were afraid. The crowd was afraid, not the disciples. But this is where Jesus takes this moment. He's going to have a teaching moment with the disciples. He says, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen. He's going to tell them what's going to happen. Matthew 20, verse 29, it gives us a little more in this verse. It says, and they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So the crowd was following him. But there is a great crowd because now the Passover feast, all this stuff is fixing to happen. You have people from around the world coming in for Passover. And yet they're fearful. And Jesus is walking steadily, leading, knowing that he's going to suffer. Knowing that he's going to go through persecution. That's the question I ask you today. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to follow Jesus knowing that you'll go through trials? Knowing that you're going to go through persecution? If we follow him, remember what we said. He said to what? Deny self. Pick up the cross and do what? Follow me. Will you follow me? 
Because Jesus is leading the disciples into Jerusalem, where he's going to be killed, where he'll suffer. And one thing I know is, I, I shared this verse with y'all, I believe it was last year in, in Psalm 23. It's one of, the, one of my favorite verses because it, it reminds me who's leading me. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, if you deny self, you're not wanting. He's got everything you need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know, it's funny because I talked about that to y'all. Some of y'all don't want to be led beside a still water. Some of y'all need rest and you're not willing to take it. And yet he's trying to lead you to it. He leads me, uh, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Who's, who are you following in the valley? Your Lord, your shepherd, Jesus Christ. He says, I am the good shepherd. That's who we follow. And let me tell you, I've told you all this before and I'll keep telling you this, is life is going to kick you whether you're a believer or not. One out of one person dies. We, Everybody in this room will pass away at some time. We will all face death at some point. Death of a loved one. Death of a family member. We'll all face illness. Somebody will get cancer. Somebody will have a, a, an autoimmune disease. Something will happen. But who's got you in the valley? The shepherd. Who's leading you in the valley? The shepherd. His rod. His staff. That should bring you comfort. So when we look at Jesus leading them to Jerusalem, leading them knowing that he's going to die on the cross, for us, we're going to suffer for his name's sake. And the, the hard part is, are you going to glorify God when it happens? I've seen this happen. I had a friend of mine that died of cancer. He was a pastor. And you go, wait a minute, pastors aren't supposed to get sick? He was the man who discipled me. I was at a wedding on Friday and his wife, Yoli, was there and I told her. I wish Louie was here. I needed to talk to him this week. And she looked at me and she goes, I do too. That man gave some of the, the most straight truth that you ever get with love. And, and I love talking with him. He always helped me. And, and um, But then God provided me someone else to talk to this week. Because they were willing to, hey, Mike, what you need? Hey, could you pray? This is what's going on. See, we can't keep things bottled up, right? 
I don't understand. I told the church this on Sunday, on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm all blurred on week. But I told them Wednesday night, it's like, what is the purpose of the church if we come into the church and we act like everything's okay? What is the church for then? At what point can you be real? Because you can't be real online. Everybody's putting their best pictures. I try to take a picture of my wife. She's like, that's the wrong angle. I'm like, what angle is a good angle? <laughs> has to be up. Got to be, got to shoot downward. And I'm like, but that's the, that's the purpose of the church is for us to be able to say, hey, let me pray with you. Let me come alongside of you. It, it's like for us, we need, to be, we need to be real with each other. I got five kids right now and probably four of them I could strangle. And you go, pastor, you're not supposed to say that. I'm being real with you. You need to be praying for my kids. See, your pastor deals with stuff too. Michael deals with stuff. See? I can be real with you. And that's what we need. We need to come into a church where we can be ourselves. Because let me tell you something. The, the, the problem is... The problem with the church is everybody thinks the church is a hypocrite. They do one thing and live another way. And it's hurt the testimony of the church. And, and for us here in Divine, my hope is, is that you'll keep walking with Jesus, following God, knowing that there's going to be persecution, knowing that there's going to be suffering, and knowing that you have disciples next to you that will walk with you. That are going through the same thing. And he's going to grab his disciples. He's going to pull them aside. And he's going to start talking to them. And I love what it says in Luke chapter 18 verse 31. It says, And taking the twelve he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. You can read Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and you'll see that those things that were prophesied about Jesus' crucifixion were accomplished. And we're going to spend probably when we get to those verses, I'm going to spend a lot of time showing you in the Old Testament where it was, where it was fulfilled. That passion of, of Jesus calling us and I, I love that he says that, that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest. You realize that the Son of Man, that term is used over 70 times when Jesus describes himself. The Son of Man. That's a, a messianic term. It's, a, it's a, a term of his humanity of Christ. It is the, the title of his humility. When you see that in Scripture, that is Jesus, the Son of Man. That goes back to the book of Daniel. That goes back to the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heavens, there came one like a son of man. And he, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, 
in this kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You read that and you go, we got victory. If a coach was telling you that on your game day, you'd go, we're going to win. You're all, you, Christ already won. So you have the whole story. You even know how the, how the book's going to end. And yet we need to live for Jesus. It says in Matthew 26, verse 64, Jesus explained that Daniel's vision applied to his second coming. See, Jesus is going to return, but when he returns, he's not coming back as a spotless lamb. He's coming back as a lion to judge. And that's why it says in Matthew 26, 24, it says, The Son of Man goes as it was written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. We know who's going to betray him, as we see it in verse 33, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. We also know that they provided false witness. And they, they held the, the uh, trial against the own laws of the Jews. They broke their own law. Sounds a lot like what's happening in America today. We just do what we want to do. Well, don't we have a law that says we're not supposed to do that? Matthew 14, verse 55, it says, Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. They couldn't find anybody. And so what did they do? For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Their lying could not match up. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with hands, and with three days I will build, build another made without hands. But now even did their testimony agree. It didn't even agree then. And then what makes it worse is they're going to have the Gentiles put him to death. It tells you that they're going to turn him over to the Romans. The Gentiles. The Jews would never do this. They weren't even allowed to, to crucify somebody, to murder somebody. They had to get the Romans to do it. And Jesus tells them that they, and they will mock me and spit on me and flog him and kill him. So they will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. See, each prediction that we've gotten in the book of Mark, this is the third time that we've gotten this prediction of his crucifixion. Each time we get a little bit more information. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The next time that he shares it in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, where he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going up to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. You see that we get more information about the chief priests. We get more information about the Gentiles. We get more information about how he will be killed. That he's going to be mocked and spit on and flogged. See, he's... 
One of the things that we know is that Jesus willingly gives up his body. He's being obedient to the Father. In John 10, verses 17 through 18, it says, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have, no, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. The command I have received from my Father. He's voluntarily doing this in obedience to God, God the Father. We know that he's going to be resurrected and was seen by many eyewitnesses. We know that there's victory in the resurrection. And you notice that each time, each one of those we went over, all three of those, he said what? And after three days, he will do what? He will rise. They didn't get that Jesus was the Passover lamb. They're going to Passover, and here's the spotless, sinless Jesus, the Passover lamb. See, they're still thinking that they're going to have this Jesus that's going to take over Rome. That's going to restore Jerusalem. And it's going to happen within their time. They couldn't wrap their heads around a Messiah that would die. Less risen. And yet we see God's power is going to be on display as he's, His Son is resurrected. They never really understood the resurrection. But it tells us in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you. This is after the resurrection. While I am still with you, that everything written about me in the laws of Moses, this is all the Old Testament people, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds, the scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. He opened their minds. It wasn't until after the resurrection they finally understood it. Oh, wait a minute. I remember learning that as a kid. Somebody taught me that. But he says something very important in there. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be what? Proclaimed in his name to all nations. We're supposed to tell people about this stuff, guys and gals. We, we, need, to, we need to open our mouths and, and share the gospel. And it was said in Hosea 6.2, After two days he will revive us, on the third day he will raise up, that we may live in his sight. It was in scripture. They missed it. They were missing it. It was right happening right in front of them. Now we see the seeking of position. We see the, the wonderful sons of thunder that are going to make their, their appearance here. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for, for us whatever we ask of you. Doesn't that sound like something your grandchild would ask you? Dad or Grandpa, can you do this thing I need you to do? It's like, what is the thing? Like, I just need you to say yes or no. No, I'm not doing that. 
That's kind of what's happening here. And these are the same sons of thunder in Luke chapter 9, verses 54 and 55. It says, And the disciples, James and John, saw it. And they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? These are the same two. Not, Lord, do you want to bring fire? Let us. Let us kill them. Jesus turned and rebuked them. This is not really a, a question. This is manipulation. This is a question that actually has an agenda. And he says, what do you do, what do you want me to do for you? And what's even worse about that is it was, it was uh, Salome, Mary's aunt. These are her two sons. And Salome actually asked, if you read the Synoptic Gospels, which is Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and John's included is, is part of it, but not the original three synoptic gospels. Uh, as you read it, Salome is the one who actually goes up. The mother actually goes up and asks. Now, why are they asking this question? They're asking this question because they were told this by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit in the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So they're saying, hey, look, you told us that we're going to be with you in the new world and we want to pick our seats. And where do we want to be? Right next to Jesus. Because it looks like I have authority. That's a worldly thinking. They're not looking at it biblically. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drank or, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? See, the cup that he's talking about is the cup of suffering that's going to be poured out as he takes the sins of the world on, his, on him at the, uh, at the crucifixion. It's the cup of suffering. He's asking them, Are you able to drink it? He's like, I'm going to be baptized over my head with calamity and misery. And I love this because Jesus is being very gentle, right? Very loving because he sees the humanity of James and John. That's how we need to be. Sometimes we say silly things. And sometimes we need grace. And sometimes we need correction, but sometimes when we hit people with correction with straight truth, you get the hammer out, you become a Texas hammer. Like, here comes the Texas hammer, watch out. Like, if there's no love behind what you're saying, we need to be gentle the way Jesus was here. Because, look, what they say next, it upsets me. Because I'm like, I, I just can't believe it. Because he asked him, he, he asked him, are you, are you able to drink the cup? And what do they say? And they said to him, we're able. You realize that is a human response. That is a prideful response. Because their, their pride wants the title. Their pride wants the position. That's pride. We'll do whatever we have to do to sit next to you. So Jesus is going to have to take care of some of this stuff and talk with them. But uh, sadly, this is humanity. 
Remember I told you at the very beginning when we started the book of Mark that when we get to the disciples, remember that they're human just like you are. They respond sometimes just like you do. Because it's easy for us to condemn them as we read the scripture. Oh, how could they ever say something like that? We say some silly things too. I think one of the worst things I remember is, is we, my, my wife had these tapes. This was before Christ. See, y'all have phones now. Uh, we remember the, used to have to carry a little. And then the old people, they really had those big ones, like a full camera shot thing. We had little camera things that we were having. We had the video, and my dad sent it to me because he, he had them uh, done. And the thing that, that really stood out to me is how bad my speech was. how my speech was not loving to my kids and how I spoke to my wife and that was when the camera was on what was happening when the camera wasn't on that was me and my best behavior humanity prideful right we all have things that we need to work on Romans 8.17 says, If the children and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provide we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So yes, as Jesus talks about it, he says, And he said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and, and, and with it you'll be baptized. Uh, with the baptism with which, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And so we know that James did. Uh, he was actually the first, one of the, the first disciples to be martyred. So yes, he suffered. He drunk after Jesus drunk of the cup. But he said in verse 40, But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. So who decides where you sit? Well, Matthew chapter 20, verse 23 says, And he said to them, You will drink my cup but to uh, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father god tells you where you sit not you and that's what he's coming to he's like hey the, the uh i'm not in charge of the seat distribution i i don't we were at a wedding we were at table 12. where are you sitting at everybody's like where are you at they were assigned by who the person in charge of the wedding. Well, God's going to design this. He's like, hey, James, John, I'll tell you where you sit. You won't. The last little bit here, we see the Son of Man came to serve in verse 41. And he says, and the ten heard it, and they <laughs> and began to be indignant at James and John. So they're upset. Now, are they upset because we want the, the seat at the left. We want the seat at the right. Why are y'all doing this? All of this is happening while the crowd is what? Watching. Division. Splitting the disciples. Arguing. Indignant. Angry. And the crowd is watching. So what does Jesus do? And Jesus called them to him. So he pulls them again away from the crowd. He says, You know not that those who consider rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and, and their great ones exercise authority over them, so remember, the Romans lorded over the Jews. They couldn't do anything without 
the Roman approval. It was lorded over them, and, and yet he's saying, you know, you can't do this because then you're going to be just like them. You'll lord your authority over them like a worldly leader. That's not what we do. You know, I think I was sitting there thinking about division, and I think, look, I, I, one of the things the devil's done really good in the last three years is divide the church. Absolutely divide the church. The Church of America. Whether you swing left or swing right, or whether you want jabs or not jabs, whether you... You know, I mean, it's just divided the church into divisions. And that's Satan. Because the church is one body. And I think at some point, Jesus is going to call us over and say, Come here. Got to talk to y'all. One body in Christ. On the head. What is your focus? Sharing the gospel. That stuff is from the world. It's funny because I had peace. I don't know. Everybody was freaking out. I was like, "Man, I, you know, at the end of the day, I've, I've served my country before. I understand what it is to be in chaos. I understand what it is to watch a unit or a brigade or a battalion or a company lose their mind as they start picking leaders and getting divided. Well, how come they get to do that mission? How come we have to sit here and try to find the mines that they've buried with a stick? Well, I would rather be in the truck driving the other direction, right? We're arguing, divided. We're all on the same team. And that's what happens here with the disciples. They get divided very quickly. They get angry at each other. But he says to them, but it, it shall not be among you, but whoever be great among you, you must be your, uh, you must be your servant. So he's telling you, you're, you're last. You're a servant. That's what we're called to be. That's why we, when we talk about, this is one thing I love about a small church, we all get a chance to serve. Everybody gets a chance to help, put up stuff, help out. It's, you know, as the church grows, <laughs> people come and go. They just come in, come out, come in, come out, and they never really get involved. And God's called us to a place of service. And I always tell people, I don't care if you serve here at the church, but serve your community, serve your marriage, serve your family. Church happens outside the walls of the church. It doesn't just happen here on Sunday and Wednesday. And as fathers, we're servants. We're called to be last. We're the head of the house. I, I used to think my mom broke my wife. My wife is Hispanic. She came from a mother that, man, when I go to the house, she serves me. Like, she brings the meal out. When I was a young guy, married, 17 years old, I got married. You hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. She made me a sandwich. You hungry? Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. And she go get me something. I took her down to my mom's house. My mom was like, his legs aren't broken. <laughs> I was like, what? what'd you do, Mom? But then as I started looking at it biblically, because that was before Christ, I started looking at it biblically. I started realizing that I'm a servant of all. I'm last in my house. 
Now, I make decisions, I lead my house. But I serve my wife and I serve my kids. It's my job to admonish my wife with the word. It's my job to, uh, to serve and be there for my kids to make sure they have a strong foundation in Christ. And as, as it, we've talked about this before, as Timothy had his grandmother and his mom, we talked about this on Mother's Day, they did that for Timothy because the dad was not in the picture. It's our job to make sure these kids have a strong foundation because let me tell you something, as soon as they get into college, they're going to try to rip God out of, their, out of their heart as quickly as they can. Start creating confusion. They need to have a strong foundation. And it says, and whoever will be first among you may be slave of all. Now I know we read that verse and we, uh, you know, because of our, our, our history, we read that verse. And, but we are to be a slave of all. I'm a slave of Christ. My life is no longer mine. He is my master. See, Jesus labored for us on the cross. Like, is, is he actually someone you are going to follow? He is for me. And finally, in verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what is our purpose as Christians? To serve. To serve. That's why we do the, the, the um, food bank. Food bank distribution. Uh, Third Street Closet is in this building. They help and they need help. They help those of uh, victims of abuse. They provide help. Mission Divine. There's, there's so many ways that we can be involved to serve. And you know why we do that? Because they need the world needs to see Christians actually serving. You were called to, to as Christians to be on a battleship, not a cruise ship. Some of y'all, Lord have mercy. They, what, what is the church going to provide for me? Will they have soccer league for my kid? That's not the purpose of the church. They got to have a ministry for everything. And what happens is the church ends up serving the church and not serving the community. That's what happens as churches grow. I came from a bigger church. I'm telling you, I know how this works. You have people come in. They don't come in. I remember Pastor Skip saying this from Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. He pastors one of the biggest churches in New Mexico. And the pastor asked him, they had somebody come up to him and said, well, we want to know what your church can do for us. He looked at him and he goes, I'd like to know how you can serve here at the church and what you can do for us here at the church. You're coming in with the wrong attitude. We're, we're called to serve. It's not, we're not here to entertain you. We're not here to... I'm here to teach you the Word of God. The one thing I can tell you consistently that you'll get is verse-by-verse verse teachings of the Word of God. We've been in the book of Mark since last year. And we will not be done on Sunday with the book of Mark until we finish the book of Mark. One verse at a time. One life changed at a time. It's the whole counsel of God that we are to teach. When we start a book, we finish the book. We're almost done with the book of Daniel. We finished the book of Nehemiah. We're going to continue on. 
But we're called to serve. Because he gave his life as a ransom for many. We'll end it with this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, because Jesus tells us that the Apostle Paul tells us that let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who is being in the form of God did not consider it robbery but to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant a slave and coming in the likeness of man and being found in, a, in, in appearance as man he humbled himself that's step one and became obedient that's step two to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and those of earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Very simply, you're called to be a what? A servant in that scripture? You're called to be what? Humble. Humble. Humility. And you're called to be obedient. And I love what it says, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What Thank you so much. You? That was Pastor Michael Petit fell, from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get humble. more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. That's God bless. What we're to do as as servants of God. We are to serve. We're not we're not here to be served. Okay. And, and that's that's my prayer for you. I mean, at the end of the day, it's one of the things that uh, in this culture that we're in now today is everybody wants to be served. Everybody thinks that they're supposed to be a leader. Everybody thinks they have the most important life. They're not being real. So we, at the end of the day, one of the things that we do is we, we're called to be servants.